Welcome to the Productivity Mastery Podcast, presented to you by myself, Stoyan Yankov, Productivity and Performance Coach, Keynote and TEDx Speaker, and co-author of the Perform Methodology, and the book, Perform, The Unsexy Truth About Startup Success. Join me on a journey to discover what some of the world's leading professionals do to be more productive, create peak performing teams, and build successful global companies. New episodes weekly. And now, enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Productivity Mastery, the podcast that's featuring some of the most inspiring leaders out there, people who are doing the stuff, who are sharing lessons on how they are, where they are at the moment, what brought them there. And I'm very excited to be interviewing today somebody that I know for several years now, I imagine, and I've been uh, lucky enough to follow his story and the story of his co-founder from the early days of their startup. The guys are rocking it right now, today with their company, Remote More. Uh, he will talk about it uh, during the conversation. But one thing that... Um, really inspired me to bring these guys on board, to bring Boris today, is their fascination with execution and persistence. Something that a lot of people talk about, but not a lot of people do. And these guys are a true example, leading by example when it comes to consistency, persistence, and execution, uh, building their own startup, but also I think applying it in other areas in their life. So very happy to welcome Boris joining us today from Chicago. Boris, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Um, I just had my cup of coffee, so I'm all ready for a great interview and to, to have fun with you. <laughs> Fantastic. Same here. It's uh, how are you? 4, 4 p.m. for me, yeah. <laughs> my time zone. Right. But I'm excited to to have a conversation with you, maybe actually Wonderful. a good excuse for us to, to, to catch up. We're always busy, right? So, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's a good way to catch up. Yeah. So, so Boris, why don't you, why don't you give a bit of a, I want to start from the, from the early beginnings. Like, why don't mm -hmm. you give us a glimpse of, you know, your, your background, where were you born? Right. What was your family right. like, you know, and what are some of the values that you were raised with right. as a kid? Right. Uh, thank you again for inviting me on the podcast. I'm, I'm quite excited to share uh, my story. And in a way, I'm also sharing the other Boris's story. So you're kind of right to introduce us kind of both of us. Um, so I'm also represent, representing the other Boris um, for, for the most part since we've been on this. Not to get confused. Not to get confused. There is Boris Kerstev yes. and Boris Borisov and both of them are co-founders exactly. of Remote More. <laughs> I'm speaking to the co-founder CEO, Boris Kerstev, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. So uh, with two Boris in the team. Um, yeah, my story uh, is that I was, um, as you are, born in Bulgaria. And um, when I was 18, I moved to to Denmark to study and and um, and work and eventually I started a company. I mean, we could do a whole podcast about the whole journey from studying to then, uh, you know, starting a company. Um, there are quite a few interesting stories there, I'll, and I'll try to be as 
the shirt as possible around it. So you mentioned some of the values I was raised with, and I think two distinct values that I can tell about is that I've been working um, since very young age. Um, I grew up in rural Bulgaria, so back in the days, we'll do a lot of, honestly, farming work, and I was involved in that process from very young age. And the other value, I'm not sure if this even classifies as a value, but my granddad was very strict on financial financial matters. So this kind of grew in me and I've always been quite diligent and, and disciplined with my financials. Um, so these two patterns of values have been consistent with me since very young age. Um, but I think it's interesting uh, part of my, because the way I run the company and the way I've come to become an entrepreneur and has a lot to do with my background in terms of growing up, but also growing up in Denmark um, while studying because, um, you know, as you've also been in Denmark for a few years and you know, especially in 2010, 11, 12, 13, it was uh, being a student and just having any job was brutal um, in many ways because um, financial crisis was in Europe in 2011, there weren't that many job opportunities. So I've done as many other foreign students as well, done a lot of manual labor work. Um, and that just, like, just, just for the audience, just for the audience, I remember because I was, uh, while I was doing my master's degree in Denmark at the time, I was working in Danske supermarket, which is which is a warehouse, right? right. <laughs> and 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 a friend of mine who was doing his PhD, he was joking. Eighty percent of the people doing warehouse job is PhDs and and masters and MBAs, you know. Right. <laughs> From but I think can... but I think especially that period because, um, you know, later on there were more job opportunities, but especially that period um, built a lot of tenacity and like hmm. like classic hard workness in, in most students and I, I see most of them like have very good work ethic so in many ways it was good but back in the days it wasn't that much fun um, and, um, and that defined actually a lot uh, in, in the way I, I'm doing a company because I would work in like and in a good and a bad way but I was working in factories and working in factories is like very very clear in many ways linear type of work and i actually taken some of the principles from that work into our startup without making it too ugly but just taking the good part of it um and trying to you know to capture in in every matter because most things we can find good things about them so i try to look on the good side of those things um and um yeah the other thing is that i always known that I would like to start a company um, and um, but for me a big 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 part was that I really wanted to graduate and finish a, a degree it kind of sounds stupid but I had to promise to my mom <laughs> so, so I had to fulfill it and then I, 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 I I'll have started the business earlier and I did start when I was 22 but it was like part-time on top of the part-time work and the student and the, being a student so it wasn't really that successful, but 
I was very, very eager to start business as early as possible. Um, and these um, boring jobs, in a way, I managed to save a lot of money actually as a student, and that was the founding capital for remote more and other like yeah. the startup journey. So tell me about yeah. the early days. Tell me right. about the early days yeah. of the company. First of all, how did you find your co-founder and committed to build a startup? And in the early days, again, you've been working on part-time jobs, manual right. labor, right. and you did both of you had some business degrees, so you had some theoretical understanding, but not necessarily startup experience when you were exactly. starting. So so tell us about the early days. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> important to note is because before we started on, on the more and in the whole startup journey, I, I already had a small business at tourist agency that wasn't very successful, but I told me a lot of good lessons about starting a business. And <clears throat> even though I had a business degree, I actually, that experience told me how much I don't know. So somewhere around 2015, I really started reading a, reading a lot of books about business and things I need to improve on, like practical things. Um, because university was great for learning theory and learning how to apply that theory and basically learning how to read books. Um, and it was a good university, but um, I really needed more like practical things. So books was a good way to get this practical knowledge a lot of book reading <clears throat> now going back to the question i met my co-founder i had a very very good um when i was writing my bachelor thesis and then master thesis had a very good um how do they used to call him i call him call him a university academic academic mentor the guy who is supposed to help you on the thesis um and the I actually learned some very good uh, principles from him. He was very principled professor. So some of the things I still apply in the business uh, in terms of how he used to operate because the way he was doing research was like a whole manufacturing process with like having organized many students and like he was producing basically research articles on a mass scale. So he was pretty good in organizing these things. But going back to your point, uh, I was writing on topics that Boris was actually, he had written on and um, and uh, he said, well, I have another Boris and he's also from Bulgaria. Why don't you, I would just introduce you to both of you and maybe you could help each other. So somewhere around 2014, 15, I met Boris and, you know, he was following what I was doing with the other company and. We're just talking about business and we did multiple projects with him like we're trading at the university i had the idea of having like an investment club and um like for a few years we're building a relationship and even though he turned me down twice i think i managed to convince him to quit his job and just start full time because i told him that i'm gonna start a business anyway after i graduate so and then that was kind of a good reasoning for him to quit his job and we converted my one of the rooms in the two-bedroom apartment into an office. And yeah, that's how we started. Okay. And if we can go back in time, was it 2017? 17. Guess... Well, we started 17. in April, May to work part-time while I was writing my master thesis. I was really, 17. really, 17. I was really, really eager to begin building my own company. So I couldn't wait. 
uh, April, May, somewhere around that time, while I was writing the thesis, uh, we started already brainstorming ideas. Mm -hmm. and, and if you go back in time and you can give advice to your younger self, right? Perfect. Now, after six, seven years of uh, hardcore startup, startup experience, what would be the top three pieces of advice you give to your younger version? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good good point because I really like to reflect. Um, actually, <laughs> without sounding too, um, you know, too cocky, I'm just hitting 20,000 working hours, something I'm proud and not proud because I've been basically working the whole time. But 20,000 hours in like five years, getting to six years, um, it's like equal to... 12 years of full-time work. Um, so there are a lot of good lessons. I think the biggest, biggest lesson that we learn, learned is you got to get the strategy right. And especially if you want to build a successful startup, you want to build a strategy, strategy organized around. And th this thing we actually knew because we really, really wanted to build a company that was very successful, basically a market leader. But one thing we didn't do really well, we basically did a very bad job around it, and it's, I would say it's still affecting us, is that we started too broad uh, without planning really well our resources. Uh, we've probably had too much um, leap of faith that things will work out. Um, I would say it was not having enough knowledge. Um, you know, that we needed to focus on something smaller and grow it from there. And over time, we'll reach out to this bigger company. We're looking more like a silver bullet. You work and you find a good opportunity and then you need to go aggressively around it, uh, to go aggressively after it. And that's right. And I think many books on, on entrepreneurship, they present this picture that founders work and out of the blue, they get not really out of the blue, but they find an idea and they hmm. they just chase it. Well, <clears throat> in reality, they don't. There was many facts. Um, let's just take, I don't know why the Uber guy came to my mind. Um, you know, he was said that he had validated the Uber idea in a few months and then he started raising money and, you know, he was chasing this idea very quickly. But people failed to realize that getting to to that stage of doing this, at this speed and level of execution actually required him to have worked on other companies and he was building his knowledge. And yes, you can do it when you have the skills, but early on, the whole thing is just a big process, right? So you are, when you have the skills and knowledge, it's much easier, but if you don't have the skills and knowledge, then it's a whole process. It's a journey. So <clears throat> you shouldn't look at like silver bullet, black and white, but rather, just start with something small and over time be ambitious to grow this thing over time and use the resources that you have in the best possible way, which could mean many things, but we went too broad with very little resources out there. Can, can you maybe, can you maybe Boris, but I think it's got to be meaningful. Can you maybe be specific? What do you mean to like in your case? And maybe, maybe that's a good time now for, for you to explain to the audience what you guys do. But also, what specifically you did so you were too broad at the beginning of, of the journey? Yeah, yeah. So with uh, Remote More, we, we started in around 2018, end of 2018, 19. 
well, we're, we, we're, we're very passionate about remote, or, remote work and bringing like, great job opportunities for people around the world. And um, our initial theory was that it's hard to find the right people because it's such a mass scale. You hard to find what a good fit remote worker is and, and so on. So we started with like connecting people and very quickly we realized that the big, big, big challenge of remote work is actually payroll. And this is in 2019. And we, so connecting people is very broad, like it's a very broad mission and even broader product vision, right? So it's, it's like very broad. Um, and payroll, it's significantly narrowly defined and it was the core of the issue of working remotely because um, that's a big challenge, you know, hiring people across borders and and making it work for them. It's a, That's the core of the issue. And we knew that this is the core of the issue, but because we started so broad, we kind of run out of resources. So on top of connecting people, we also had to do payroll, but it took us a while to be able to do it in a good way um, while well, we had to maintain the initial product vision. Well, the, the right thing was actually focused on payroll, but because we spent so much time going after the broad vision and didn't organize resources in the right way, we didn't have enough money to execute the payroll in the way I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope this gives you an idea of what I mean. Um, so and another thing is, <clears throat> you know, when you, when we started up broad with a with a vision, you know, you gotta convince investors that this vision is worthwhile fighting for. Well, let's face it, most first time founders, let's say ninety five percent of them, they don't have the skills, the knowledge, even more than ninety five, probably ninety eight percent, and they have very hard time convincing investors why they should give their money, right? So um, going broad without showing initial results makes it even harder to convince investors. Well, you have a small issue that you can solve that's very close to your skills and knowledge, then it's much easier to execute on it and, and deliver results on, 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 on that vision. So it's, it's a huge topic. We could do one podcast just around this. <laughs> I, I remember early on the journey, I was speaking to the Arab Boris and and you were guys at the stage that you wanted to start looking for investors just to to see the ground, to see what's out right. there, to to have conversations. And 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 as I remember, and, and that's one thing I want to emphasize also in the conversation because I, I love your tenacity. And and when you set yourself to something, there's no excuses. Like I remember you found a list, or you made a list. You can tell me about it, how it was, but a list of more than a hundred investors, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, that's <clears throat> that's classic. Um, remote more way of working and and um, so one thing we've done really well with Boris and this is a principle I've been I've been taking from again from my student years is just be very very disciplined and what this means is and it sometimes people say you know you're too rigid and they'll say it's too boring and stuff like this they'll try to find the negative side of it but there are also many good things so we've been very, very structured. And let's say we start working from seven, we'll work until seven. I will do it six days a week without excuses. If it, 
even if you're tired, you're not that productive, just be there and get the work done to the best possible extent. And that's the way we go around, especially at the beginning when you don't have enough skills, knowledge, you just need to compensate with work hours and read books, implement these books. If you don't have a mentor, which I guess most of us don't have, and and um, implement the knowledge and then learn as you go with but you need to put the amount of hours even if sometimes it doesn't look that productive and that exciting you know when you stay consistent when you're focused on the the issue and disciplined good things happen and going back to your point is that the the approach we always take on is that we find an issue we'll try to build quantity amount of work then go through this list uh, let's say investors you know we'll we would like to fundraise money. We'll build a list of 100 targeted investors that fit our stage, our industry, and so on, like key important variables. Just go out and contact these investors, no matter what it takes, you know. And the first investor that we attracted, Axel Springer, was, I remember very clearly, and I remember the night I reached out to this investor, it was number 89 in the list. And I said to Boris, well, I'm there in Berlin. I don't know if they'll take us, we're in Denmark. I'll just shoot them a message and see what works out. And and and, and that's how it works, you know. <clears throat> and most things in my life happen because we, we're just doing a lot of work going through a list uh, or like through a process and and follow the process and, and, and this will increase your likelihood of success. Before you landed this investor, you said uh, number yeah. 89 in the list. Just for the audience to get an idea, how many did you approach and how many meetings did you have before you, you had a meeting with these guys? Um, quite, a f quite a few, but I think more interesting than this is the fact that for... Okay, we... We probably didn't, like, we reached out to more than 150, 200 investors. I think we took a list of all investors in Denmark and contacted them. There was um, this public uh, data list that we found somewhere of investors in Denmark. We would contact them, but nobody, nothing really clicked. And there were many explanations why it didn't click, but one of it was, you know, we needed to show more sales results. And as a matter of fact, um, it took us three, two and a half years to get our first client si since the beginning of 2017. We got our client around 2019 um, and 2019, April, March, something like this. And um, so it really took us a long time to show initial sales results and building the initial product as well. It took us quite a while um, because we really want to find the initial good idea that will fit our characteristics. And again, there was the same approach. We knew what we wanted as an idea and we just put the amount of hours and experimenting with different ideas and um, and testing out things. Like same approach, but on larger scale. So it took us quite a while and, and Dexter Springer was... We had a quite... A few conversations, let's say, eight to fifteen with other investors, but they just felt to be the right fit. Accelerator at our stage, we still don't have a product, and they had they have great community, which we really needed uh, to be part of a community of 
entrepreneurs and founders. So um, it took us quite a bit of effort, but also it was worthwhile joining them. So it was... So how are you not getting demotivated? Let's say you reach out to 50, 100 investors. Oh, you do. Not getting positive response. How do you keep going? Because there's a lot of people that after they call and reach out to 10 investors or clients or anything else, they might get demotivated and, and, and just quit and say, this is not the right thing. How do you, how right. do you, you and Boris, what is the mental, you know, tool that you guys use to, to keep going when things get tough? Um, I think... I think, um, as I mentioned, being disciplined is like, for me, it's like super important. And I, I don't care. You, you got to hit 12 hours a day. Not every day is a great day in terms of productivity, but I need to be there. Even if I'm not productive, I'll be there. Just show up and do it. <clears throat> but also with Boris, we were a good team of supporting each other, of staying in a good spirit for the most part. I mean, look, when you work five, six years with, with someone 12 hours a day, it's nature that it will sometimes be like uh, challenges in the communication and the relationship. But, but, but for the most part, let's say 90% of the time, it was like we were supporting each other. And, and that, that's very important because, um, you know, just show up and try to be positive and, 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 and put in the work. I mean, don't go around it. And <clears throat> another thing, we've been tracking hours. And, and mm. I've been posting that on LinkedIn. I'll get comments below. You know, you're not always productive. How can you work 12 hours a day? Well, yeah, I'm not always productive. But I'll be there and I'll still get some work done, even if I'm not 100% productive for the most for all 12 hours. But even these two hours where I'm like 50% productive, they really add up over time, you know, like you do this small task and then you do another small task and you're not that productive, like hundred percent productive in those two hours. Let's say out of these 12 hours, you have two hours where you're not that productive because you get tired, but they really add over time and over time. And that's why one thing I wanted to explain is that entrepreneurship is a game of compound interest, right? Mm. It's not a, silver bullet thing where you just shoot and you get it out yes it could look like you start a second company and in two years it becomes very successful but it was so much effort that was done before that to get to this point where you can execute on like stellar level so it's not a silver bullet it's a long process of compounding skills knowledge network tenacity all these things that are so critical for huge success like startup success so since you mentioned we're measuring you mentioned uh, initially in the conversation 20,000 hours then you said 12 hours a day but i know you guys some people will be like yeah 12 hours maybe no, no. he did it last week but but can you give me like because i know you guys are tracking everything on spreadsheets yeah. and everything like like the first three years let's say on average how much did you guys work per week that's easy to comprehend Seventh. So the goal was we experimented again. We experimented with ninety hours. We experimented with fifty, and we found fifty is too low. I mean, you cannot succeed in fifty hours. Mm. Ninety was too much. First was like too much. We, it's not sustainable. We found like seventy was like the peak of how to explain it. The peak where you're productive but not burning yourself too much. So it's like 
the sweet spot between highest level of workout that you could do. Can you can you maybe give it because many people are thinking okay, 70 hours sounds like a lot of hours, but also something maybe that's attainable. But but how do you maybe initially and also today, how do you balance planning with execution? What do you do? What worked for you? And what uh, what did you learn that wasn't working so well? In terms of planning and execution or, yes. or work hours? Exactly. No, planning, execution, yes. Um, I think when planning and execution, um, I think what works really well is to have clear clear goals on, on what, what, what you want to achieve and, and go out and, and try to achieve that goal, but also be, you know, let's say you want to raise $2 million, right? And it's a whole process, right? So it's not just one thing to go out and reach investors. You should build a, what works really well is that build a plan, how you're going to get there. What are the steps? like how many investors you need to contact, but also not only investors, what type of product you need to have. Um, does it fit with you? Does it fit with the market? Sales results. How much sales we need to have to show to investors that this idea would be actually worthwhile, worthwhile investing in. And, and if I want 2 million, probably I will say, okay, we can do it in 10 months. So I'll set a goal in 10 months to, to do this 2 million but also reverse back to the moment here and now what we need to do to get this done. And then month over month, I'll track the progress. <clears throat> what doesn't work is getting too rigid about this approach, right? So if you get too, um, too obsessed with it, it's decreasing your productivity. So you should plan, but also be present here and now what needs to be done and not think about the end goal too much. Um, and not be obsessed with quantifying everything and you already mentioned that we do but we we try not to be obsessed to the level that it's it's getting a bit too much um mm. so you need to re leave room for you know the unexpected things in a good way like what i mean unexpected is like creativity and flexibility and plans are made to be broken right so they will not hold for them for some part of it so you need to have flexibility that you know you cannot plan for everything so you need to have some room for for these things and actually plan for unexpected things so in a way you can plan for everything but you need to leave room for for most things like, can you maybe share yeah. can you maybe share now like and we're going to go into also the the planning for the unexpected later in the conversation but but i want to dig into the planning side and maybe just give us a, an idea how many people are part of remote more right now employees right and and how does a week of yours look like like how much time do you spend strategic thinking planning delegation right. coaching your team and how much do you spend down in the trenches executing yeah that's a very very good question because i <clears throat> i honestly found this uh, to be quite hard in terms that before we had a team um like the first phase was being a really good executor and let's say in sales or on fundraising. And that was actually easier in a way because you had to just go out and execute. You don't need to manage a team. Um, you know, you need to have good skills 
So you need to work on your skills if you don't have them. Um, and when you have good skills, this and will even if you average, even if you average on, let's say, and I know you're really good in sales, but even if you average on sales, if you call 300 people, right? Two of them will say yes or, or 20 or 50. At right? least one, let's say something will get out of it, you know, and you learn something. So mm. when you put in the work, it's inevitable that good things will come out. But going back to your point, when we scaled the team, now we're 12, 12 people in the company. Uh, we were 21. We had to reduce the size of the team also because it was inefficient in some ways, but also, you know, due to other challenges. But um, going to back, back to your point, I was struggling for quite some time to understand because I really needed to execute as an individual, but also you need to manage the team. And I found the formula, the following formula to work the best for me. So Sunday is reserved. So I work Sunday to Friday. And Sunday is reserved for strategic planning, where I spend a lot of time thinking, working on the business, right? So you're focused on improving the business, looking at the KPIs, financials, think about the problems, risk management, strategy. Um, I won't touch anything execution-wise. I will probably not even reply to emails. Um, so just, just focus on the overall business. And planning the week, planning the month, planning the year. So that's on Sunday. And usually for me, because I'm based in Chicago and most of my team is in Europe, for me, the mornings are like, I probably start around 5 to 6 a.m. And morning time, I usually around until... 12 p.m. I'm quite busy with meetings, basically managing the team and making sure that everybody knows what they're doing and maybe some sales calls with Europe. And then in the afternoon, it's focused on individual execution. So this is deep work. Um, no meetings or very few meetings or meetings with people in the U.S., with investors or with customers in the U.S., but... Um, I'll have a block of time where I'm able to execute and focus on individual things. Um, so that's the structure I use. That goes from Monday to Friday. And do you do do you do any do you have any practice you do on a daily basis, like like a little time management planning practice on a daily basis as yeah. well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every every day, I try before I before I start the day to to plan the day. If I have the time, I prefer to plan from the day before, like organize the day for the next day. But sometimes, well, most times I don't have time to do it. So I'll usually I end up doing it in the morning. I'll probably spend half an hour just thinking about the work I need to do today to make sure I do the right things. And I really like to write down. So I write down most things uh, because this gives me more confidence and I remember more when I write down. So I like to write down everything. And yeah, and before that on Sunday, I have planned the week ahead. So I'd say four to five things that I really need to get this week done that align with the monthly goals, but also with the yearly goals. And this is, this is not just for you. This is for the direction for the company, for the whole team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, 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 the management team, we meet on Sunday for one hour. We plan the week ahead. That is again aligned with the monthly goals and with the yearly goals and and what yeah. what methodology do you follow when it comes to goal setting 
Um, it's again kind of inspired from the manufacturing process because in manufacturing process you had to plan, let's say in a month, how many items you need to produce. Then you go to a week and I, I haven't done the planning myself, but that's what I heard from the supervisors and I got kind of impressed. I was working in a cookie factory in Denmark, very famous cookie factory in Denmark. And they will do this process, you know, usually around Chinese Christmas, which is uh, February, March, then they start preparing the production workload. And But then I turn out that this is a standard procedure of setting goals. So what happens is that <clears throat> somewhere around October, November, we'll plan the goals for the next year. We'll align the whole team on what needs to be achieved by the end of next year. And then you distribute these things for a month. And and then this goes to the weekly things. And um, it was easier when it was a smaller team, me, Boris, and let's say a few developers. When it's a bigger team, you know, you have different uh, teams that they need to align with the core goals. And, and the thing is that before, because the last few months have been quite turbulent in terms of the market uh, out there. So... Before I'll do a yearly basis, but now since it's so turbulent, um, it's more like quarterly planning. So what's the quarterly goal going back to the monthly goal and then the, the initial what you need to get done this week. So it also depends on external factors. Ideally, I would like to plan for a year, but now it's been more like quarterly planning because things ch basically change every three months now, externally mm -hmm. speaking. And, and part of part of the success of a startup is dependent on the ability of a founder to to turn from a really good person that executes to somebody who can manage well yeah how was that for you and what do you do today to make sure that your team performs well it's a <clears throat> i would say it's a it's a challenge right um mm. it's a, it's it's one of the hardest but most rewarding things to work with with people um, what I uh, do is that I try to be very, very clear on the goals and I'll communicate this as much as possible with everyone. We have a dashboard with the OKRs, with the individual goals, for each person that align with the overall goal of the team. And, and, um, and just be very transparent, very clear and keep everything in writing. Um, because when you speak, I can tell you one thing, people understand another thing, but when I have it in writing, put it down in writing, that, that makes it so much more clear. And, and yeah, um, good communication and regular meetings without doing too many meetings as well. So we try to balance that one so, out. So, so let's kind of break it down. It's very interesting. So, so you, had, you had 12 people, you said. Right. Um, do you have weekly one-on-ones with each of them or is your co-founder uh, taking some of them? How do you make sure that yeah, yeah. you're on the same page consistently? Well, we, we try to divide like team leads and everybody is having like, different teams. So I'll do one-on-ones with the team leads. Um, on a, with some people, it's like bi-weekly on others. It's weekly, um, but not, not less, not, you know, as regular as this time schedule, weekly to bi-weekly. Um, and they'll do individual one-on-ones with the different people in their teams. Um, but but yeah, the core, core management team, we have uh, 
daily standoffs on Wednesday, Friday, and then Sunday is the weekly planning. And um, other meetings uh, would be, you know, planned throughout time, that time period I mentioned, 6 a.m., 12 p.m. For, for me. And some of them are not scheduled, some are scheduled. You know, you don't. I don't want to have too many meetings, so try to keep it more necessary than than doing too many meetings. So trying to find a good balance between these, but really making sure people know the goals, what we're trying to achieve, and be very transparent with them. And throughout the your startup journey, did you have to let somebody go because they were not performing consistently? And, and the reason I'm asking this question is a lot of people are waiting too long to fire somebody yeah. because there's feelings, emotions, ego, all kinds of things involved. And I know you guys are very practical guys. You know, of course, you're human, but, but you're very practical. And I wonder if you can give some advice to the people watching. Well, it's a hard thing uh, firing someone. Um, we had to let go of people who didn't perform well. Usually the approach I'll do is, as I mentioned, I'll, stay, I'll try to stay rational. So I'll try to look at the problem why it's not working out and like the real objective problem and try to be as objective as possible and then talk to the people to fix it, the issue. So give a fair chance to the people to fix the issue. And if after some designated time period that we deemed reasonable, still things are not working out, then we need to let the person go. But <clears throat> sometimes the whole process could be this longest nine months because let's say you work in sales realistically you need to give the person let's say three months three to six months if you have product performance issues then you need to account for i'm just giving an example if you have also product performance issues you need to account for this in the equation that the problem person probably failed because there were product issues or any other issue let's say there was huge market slowdown um, the person, I mean, can do something, but also not really. So you give fair amount of chance to the person, let's say three to six months, of course, if you can afford it, right? So you need to also look at financials. Three to six months, then talk to that person, maybe give another three months, and if nothing is really clicking, if no opportunities are being brought, brought to the table or communication is not going the right way, actions don't align with with what we've talked, and it's better also for the person to look for a new job because he or she will be wasting time with us. It's obviously not working out. Yeah. But it's not nice. It's not nice. I, I wish there was a way that you don't need to fire people and everything works out perfectly for both sides. Right. Yeah. Right. But but part of the journey of being an entrepreneur especially being a successful entrepreneur is is dealing with struggles dealing right. with inconvenience and dealing with uncertainty and that's where i want to get into right um and boris i don't know about you but when i started getting into entrepreneurship and startups i would read all these books and mm -hmm. you know follow entrepreneurial kind of online medias and so on and and in my mind it was like wow this is such a great journey right it's 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 exciting mm -hmm. you are building stuff it's like things are going to work out and i don't have a boss and 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 then and then you become one 
And then it's like, oh, they didn't tell me the whole Shit. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they told me the whole story. It's yeah. not as it looks, right? And you you go through these super difficult um, periods. And I've had a lot of these. And I, I'm guessing you guys had some of these. And I wonder if we can go there because, and I, by the way, I want to I wanna say that I really admire you and Boris for being so humble and, and, and vulnerable okay. and honest. Um, and if we can go there and, and you can share maybe, did you guys have any... Let's go with the extreme near-death startup mm -hmm. experiences yeah. or, or some major crisis. And, and how did you feel? And, and just lead us through these kind of stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do have um, cases like this, of course. Uh, <clears throat> but I also should emphasize that prior to starting the business, I already had like seven, eight, six to seven years when I was At that period as a student, like I was working five years without taking any weeks off, weekends off. Like I was working really a lot and studying and that really defined me a lot because I already had the work ethic to, to work consistently while facing, you know, not, not great environment or dealing with tiredness and so on. So I already had built a lot of stamina and work ethic so <clears throat> prior to starting the company i was sure even even if i don't have the professional experience which i didn't because i started right away from university i really had the personal things there like work ethic and and stamina which is like very very important in, in entrepreneurship but um in 2019 as i mentioned we when we found the payroll thing Uh, we didn't have resources to execute on it because we had like three to four months of runway. We just released Remote More in November, December 2019. We had runway until February 2020. So we had like two to three months to to find, to survive basically. And actually there's a joke that Boris made t-shirts in 2019 and they were Remote More and it was Remote More 2019. And I think Boris was thinking that we'll be out of the game in 2019. Um, maybe he has a different opinion. Maybe you can talk to him about it. But my interpretation is that, okay, he wanted to memorize 2019 and that's it. But check next. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we, 2019, November, December, We released the platform, so we were having quite a bit of struggles to build a marketplace. So that's another thing we didn't touch upon. Like building a marketplace is very difficult business. You need to have both sides, companies and developers. We actually had to restart the whole thing three times. On the third time, we managed to succeed. And that's one of the reasons we didn't have sales because getting the market dynamics, marketplace dynamics right is like really hard. It sounds simple, but it's very hard to execute on it. And there's surprisingly a lot of software to be built. So some people will say, go out with Excel sheet and sell and so on. Yeah, it works, but it works for proving a concept, but getting a real business, you need to have a real product. And, and when we released the platform, we had a lot of statistics that it was showing that people should like it and and so on, and it turned out to be the case. So when we released the platform, we got initially very quickly a few customers. In those two, three months, we basically changed the whole game and we managed to survive. And then we raised money from angel investors and so on. Um, but it was like two, three months of runway. Um, 
arise you out of business and and that was like very important for me that we stay in business because my belief has always been that as long as you're in business no matter how hard it is you get to something big right but you need to be in the game so i never really related to the concept of and maybe because i come from humble background and for me if i if we had stopped working on remote more means that I need to go work full-time two, three years to save money and then go back again to entrepreneurship. And that thought was killing me. Like if I had to go for two, three years, three years working full-time, I was like, I have been devastated. So I just wanted to be on the startup journey and, and make sure I'm there and eventually good things will fall. And that was the approach we took, like just stay in business and, and make sure you're there. And that was a very important moment because if we were out of business, then that's not great at all. So it, it was a miracle in those three months. Yeah, I love day. it. Yeah. I love the fact that you use the pain as a motivation. Oh, the I do quite often. Yeah. <laughs> as a potentially what could happen if we don't succeed. Yeah. And, and and I think maybe, maybe here I'm interested to hear what kept you going in the hardest times? And, and as a CEO, as a leader of the company, did you have to keep reminding everybody about the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, you have clear goals, what needs to be done. And, and then when you get the initial progress, then it's much easier to show, okay, we're on the right track. But what kept me at the beginning was that I really, and I still do really like entrepreneurship, and even if I'm making very little money out of it, that's fine. Um, money has never been a priority for me, but I really wanted to learn and entrepreneurship was a vehicle to learn as fast as possible. And, you know, that was very, very motivating for me. And, um, and uh, it still is. So um, that's important. And just being the journey and money will eventually come and success will eventually come monetary success meaning you can feel successful but not have any financial returns <laughs> uh, I mean no for sure yeah, for sure I wonder I wonder if you we're talking about uncertainty and, and, and major crisis but I'm also interested in um, one side of it which is dealing with emergencies and unexpected uh, oh I'm the emergency guy so okay let's talk <laughs> let's talk what, what does the, that mean I'm the firefighter. Something, something. A fire comes comes out, right, out of nowhere. Yeah. What would be your advice to people out there? In terms so, depending, of maybe sharing a story, maybe sharing an example, so we can kind of get a bit of a practical something. You know, what, what is your thought process, right? Because the first thing yeah. to master is like your, you need to remain calm and be able to to be in the solution mode, right? That's the Terminator approach, uh, but we're humans, so, <laughs> um, so. For me, I would like to be like this, be calm when an issue comes out and be just very rational and patient and so on, like these good good qualities, but I'm not. So many times when an issue comes out, initial thoughts, I panic in my mind. And I need like 15, depending on the issue, but let's say it's like a serious issue, like big, big issue. And, and a big issue could be... Um, Working with an investor, and the investor is thinking about you've invested money in, in lawyers, let's say six digit amount in lawyers, and the investor you've been working in two and nine investors that's 
giving signs they might what or you know it's like a big big risk <clears throat> and and the thing is that i i always want to be this calm patient person but this is also a journey for me in my mind when a big issue comes out you know initially i panic and and then i'll need half an hour to realize what's going on maybe have a chat with boris or just write down things on my on my journal then you calm down and be rational and start thinking about the problem you face it with realistic facts but usually what happens is next day thanks next day you're there you've slept on it you're feeling good you probably have built up a few versions of how this might play plan out and it doesn't look as bad as you thought initially so next day is the thing when you start executing for the most part. You're more calm, you're more patient, you're more confident in yourself. Go out and do it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, but I, I like to use the, the, the panic and I learned to, and the fear, and I learned to channel this panic and fear into a, first of all, as a very good risk management tool because it pushes you to think about all the risks. And second of all, it gives you extra free motivation <laughs> to, to work it out. But the thing is you need to, able, to be able to channel it. And this is the, the issue I realized most people are facing is that they don't channel this into a productive, productive work too. And this I learned it from sports um, because I played basketball many years and there, you know, I think I talked to some basketball player in Denmark or something like this. And he mentioned that he would use these things to channel it to motivation. Because when I was in Horsens, there was a professional basketball team. And there was one really cool guy and he talked once. I don't remember his name, to be honest, but uh, he was really good. And he'll talk about this, like he was able to channel the fear and to, into productive uh, tool. So I kind of worked on it over time and, and implemented it myself. Mm. And, and when it comes to seeing that there's something happening, let's say in your industry, some global kind of event or something, do you do any kind of a scenario planning or, or like how do you do risk management when yeah. you feel like there's something going on and something might hit you guys? So there... Uh, what was this? I used I like the model where you know, they're expected no uh, um, no no unknowns no unknowns no unknowns unknown unknowns. It's a very good table. So there are things that you can plan for that you know that an issue. There are things that you know an issue, but you don't exactly know the matter. You just know the direction. So <clears throat> I'm actually <clears throat> sorry. I'm actually very good in, in risk management. Um, sometimes I'm thinking I should have worked in a, in a in a bank or in the risk management department. But what I've done, and I think this is a good thing we've done at Remote More because we've been working on the Thai tree sources for so long. And I think so many founders would, would have failed because I did invest quite a significant amount of time thinking about the risks and classifying these risks and I have a sheet that's actually pinned to my menu bar on the computer and 
it's called risk analysis. I have like, uh, and I hope some of our employees are not listening to it, but it's like 65 risks, uh, problems we have in the business. Um, and uh, Don't worry guys, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Yeah, <laughs> some, yeah. some of the risks are not that big. There are some big, but some are not, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, you know, just put them out there and think about like every risk and see what you can do about it. Because for the most part, these risks are actually opportunities out there. Let's say you don't have good products or you don't, you have some team issues. These risks are actually opportunities that once resolved, they turn out into a strength. Uh, and also I like the idea of knowing what's unknown or knowing the issues out there, which leaves very little room for unexpected things, which inevitably will come out. But once they come out, you've, manage to capture so much of the of the risks that this field will be that small and you have the bandwidth to take it on um so that that gives me a lot of and that's that's a principle i learned from the person i worked with the professor i worked with on bachelor and master thesis and he used to have a phrase of like stealing the, the thunder from the examiner, which means that you think about what they might ask and kind of the risk before you actually meet them. And this way you control the environment, right? So um, that's essentially the approach I applied to this risk management is that I didn't want to be surprised. I don't like surprises. Uh, and if your approach is to be surprised, you'll be really disappointed. <laughs> So, so, so just to understand, you you identify the potential risks, and then do you sort of quantify them or evaluate the probability and the impact in some way? Not really quantifying, to be honest. So this is one of the things. Is more you could, but I, I, the way I did it is more qualitative. So I'll just try and look at different areas of the business and think about even in my personal life, I'll do the same. I, I that risk analysis I have also category about me and different risks I might face as a person and and just put that them is out super there. interesting man that's super interesting talk to me about that I don't think many people have this approach well let's say um, you know you put out all the things and and then you would uh, put the risks in different categories let's say in sales in product in funding and, and so on and just list them out there and then you would put time on when you want to do it. And also on personal level, let's say if I'm um, not reading books, let's say I'm not reading books, which is not the case, but let's say I'm not reading books, which for me is like super important because <clears throat> as I mentioned, and probably noticed from my discussion earlier on is I think skills and knowledge is everything. Um, if you have skills and knowledge, then you raise money, you have an idea and so on. That's like, this is the core of everything. And, you know, if I'm not reading books, this means that this, my long-term development as a human, as a person, professional, will really slow down. And I might not feel it in three to six months because it's short-term period, but I'll feel it in three to five years because I'll stop developing. So I, I think I have it somewhere there that not learning enough will make me an unproductive person. And, and um, so, so the things that matter most to you as areas, you, you, you take some time once in a while to look into what could be some threats and risks that could affect the things that matter most to me. 
For the business, I actually asked people around the company, um, let's say my co-founder and other people, to list down some of the risks they see in our business, some of the challenges we see, and to present and to give me a list of those things so I could bundle it in one huge list. So it wasn't only me. Um, and usually I have a discussion with my co-founder around the risks. Do we see the same way? Most of the time we don't because he's a bit more laid back than I am. But um, but for big things, we usually agree. And um, and we'll have this list and then I'll, I have it in my calendar every two months or every one month. Um, I think it's every one month and a half um, to go back to this list and review how we're making all the progress. <clears throat> and and I'm not trying to, at the beginning, I had this list when money was very tight, financials very tight, product not really there. I was really obsessed about this list. I was, I was opening every week. <laughs> but um, it's not good because you focus too much on the unproduct. It's productive, but if you obsess, get obsessed with it, you disrupt your workflow. So you kind of need to learn yourself to differentiate between looking at these things and not looking at them and focusing on execution. And for me, that's been a big challenge, to be honest. And meditation has played a huge role to let me focus on the present moment. Um, because I sometimes I get too much uh, into my planning and thinking, uh, which could make it hard to execute in the moment. And if I was in a bigger company, that's no problem because you, as far as I understand, there are people to think about these plans and people to execute right now. But in a startup, you need to be the CEO, you need to be the sales, you need to be the manager, and you need to kind of be able to... That, that, that'll be my final the, question, actually. Yeah. You started answering it already, but how do you vent off like like all these kind of 70-hour weeks, right? Like what do you do to, to balance and, and get back into your you know, present state on top of meditation? Uh, yeah, but uh, one thing I people when they hear 70 hours is <clears throat> I, I used to have a girlfriend and a girlfriend would say um, she thought I was punishing myself. She, she even asked me, do your parents have some debt or like, why are you working so hard? And like she thought it was like something like really bad was happening for me. Like, to like a trauma, so. like, a, like a childhood trauma. No, no childhood trauma. You're constipating. No, 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 no. Like you're having such a big issue in your life that you need to work oh, so hard. Like, like a financially, somebody's struggling. And exactly. And people money. think I'm punishing myself by working so hard, which is not the case. I just really want to progress as fast as possible, you know? So when people hear 70 hours, I'm not punishing myself. And it's not a bad thing. It's actually an enjoyable thing. So for the most part, I don't need to vent off because I just like what I do. Um, that's very important. But sometimes you need to vent off. You face some challenges, getting too much. Um, I do sports. Uh, reading books really helps me because, um, you know, you get focused. And the good thing about a book is that they cannot reply back to you. You need to analyze it yourself. So <laughs> the book is there. I mean, it's neutral to you. So it doesn't bring more stress. And... You know, when I had a girlfriend, it was also nice to spend time with her. Uh, and that's another thing, uh, very, very helpful. Um, but for the most part, I don't need to vent off. I really don't need to. I feel good. Um, and meditation, I used to meditate quite often. Um, 
these days I haven't done so much because they're feeling really good. Um, but for the most part, yeah, these things will help me out. Uh, but sports, I mean, going out for a run is like really, really helpful. And by the way, thanks. I'm going to summarize it here, but thanks so much for mentioning that. From what I hear, you naturally enjoy the journey of being an entrepreneur and, and entrepreneurship is not, is not for everybody. Like it's been such a, such a buzz in the last five, 10 years that like, this is the cool thing to do. Right. I mean, it, it's cool for some people, but it's not for everybody because not everybody can handle the stress and the uncertainty and, and all these other things. So, so if you're listening right now and maybe you are in your early twenties, give it a try, see if it's something for you, but if exactly. it's not, that's okay. That's exactly. super okay. That's what <laughs> I like about entrepreneurship is that it, 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 it's, it, it's think that you need to find on your own if you like it or not. And I have this theory that once you find the right spot, then you could still be great. Uh, if you want to be great, of course. And if you don't want to be great, that's also okay. Um, just find the thing that fits you. And also the entrepreneurship style. And one thing I've been, been amazed about when we're in Berlin in the Axel Springer Accelerator, there we've met probably 100 startups. <clears throat> and sometimes we talk with Boris about how one thing executes, how another thing executes. I've been amazed that some things, some teams, I would look at them and I say, there's no way that these guys would succeed. But they've done really well. And other teams, they also do well and they have a totally different approach to execution. And, you know, you need to. There is no universal truth for the most part. They try to bullshit it around that there is like some, there are some universal knowledge out there and best practices, but it's such a unique way that should fit to your personality and just adjust it to how you execute and who you are as a person. I've seen like artistic type of founders that their approach never fits me and they'll be all over the place. Uh, I'll get annoyed with them. They're not showing on time, they're not structured, but they've done really well. They'll build amazing products. They find some unique opportunity out there. And again, you know, you find other founders that don't align with how I view it. And it's so great, this thing, that you let people be who they are. Yeah. And then you find people like remote more that are measuring everything and they're working 12 hours per week. Yeah, and, they punish themselves. Punish themselves and... <laughs> Yeah. No, but I th thank you for sharing that, man. I, I, I definitely agree. And that was one, one of my key learnings as well. It's like everybody tried to give you a piece of advice, but nobody's in your shoes. The founder of Reebok was a guest on the podcast. Everybody yeah, yeah. was listening I've and made it, it yeah. to the end of the episode. You should definitely listen to that to that podcast episode with Joe Foster. But but one of the key things I remember from the episode is he, he stopped for a second and he said, don't listen to too much advice. Don't listen to me. Just... <laughs> Believe in yourself. Exactly. Believe in yourself and, and just, you know, get advice, get practices, get read books, find something that you can implement. But but at the end of the day, nobody's you. Nobody knows you. Nobody has your connections exactly. and, and your yeah. background and knows what naturally works for you, right? right. So, um, but we can keep on going and going. And Boris, I'm sure we're right. going to have you back at some point. Uh, last thing, so we can wrap up this amazing episode. Boris, can you maybe just... Uh, for the audience listening right now, share more about, you know, what is remote more and right. who are the people that might get value from getting in touch with you and using your service? 
Yeah, um, most important part we didn't say about Boris is that it's a marketplace for companies and developers to work remotely full time. You know, we have over 30,000 developer users and over 1,400 companies. And we help companies find developers find each other, but also supporting them on payroll and other essential things that work well when working remotely. Um, and we have great customer service. Uh, this is the thing we didn't touch upon. I have some great stories around this topic, but we'll go above and beyond for the, for the client and developers. And, and um, yeah, we, we, uh, we are startups, so we adjust the needs of the client. <laughs> Excellent. So, 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 what was the web page once again? Uh, remotemore.com. Remotemore.com, ladies and gentlemen. So Thanks this everybody one with for dot com. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who are not seeing the video, remotemore.com. Uh, and uh, once again, thank you for making it to the end of the episode. Staying with us. Let me Bye. see if there's any comments because I can't see them here in StreamYard. But yeah, there's just a couple of people sharing that they enjoyed the episodes great talk guys richard grass is saying great talk thanks for sharing guys all right thanks everybody for listening thanks for being with Thank us uh, make sure to stay connected because there's a bunch of more exciting amazing guests uh the next one is going to be rita magret i hope i pronounce it well she's uh, one of the top people in the world on strategy she's a professor from columbia business school if i'm not confused hope we can double check it uh, so she'll be with us in a couple of days live and uh, a bunch of other great people. Make sure to subscribe uh, on the Spotify, Apple Podcasts and, and see you once again next time at the Productivity Mastery Podcast. Thank you so much, Boris. Thank you, Stan. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe to my monthly newsletter by visiting stoeniankov.com and also learn about the Perform methodology and the Perform book, as well as our various personal and team coaching offers. Stay tuned and keep performing.